0: If you have a copy of God's Word, we are returning to our series in the book of Daniel today, looking at Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Would you please stand out of reverence for God's Word? Again, that's Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. O king live forever tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation the king answered and said to the Chaldeans the word from me is firm if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins but if you show the dream and its interpretation you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor therefore Show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me, Till the times change. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. This is the living and active word of the living and true God. Please receive it as such and be seated. What is it that keeps you going day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year? What is the hope that sustains you when you are going through difficult times and trials? In the world and even in some parts of the church, there is an emphasis on the the power of positive thinking. According to the world and its ways, positive energy is all-important Like, you see those bumper stickers that say, if something can go well, it will. But we know that things often don't go well. Things actually go very bad. And you might even see a dent on that very same car. But as Christians, what is it that keeps us going? What is it that helps us get through those most difficult and trying times and the sufferings which we face in this life? What keeps you going? The truth is, positive thinking is important, but it has to have its basis in reality, in the truth of God's word. Perhaps there's no greater example of this in scripture than those famous words of the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Notice that the psalmist's hope and assurance isn't that if something can go well, It will. His hope and assurance, even when he's facing evil, even when he is in the valley of the shadow of death, his hope, his encouragement is that thou art with me. The Lord is with me in this time of trial. In this passage and in this book, Daniel and his friends are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, facing evil head on, being in the most difficult situation of their lives. Yet in their situation and in their suffering, Daniel and his friends are sustained through the revelation of a mystery, through the revelation of God's will working through and among the nations of this earth, bringing about his purpose. In a similar way, we who are also in that same world of sin and misery, we too are sustained by God's revelation of his mystery, that in the Lord Jesus Christ He is with us. That revelation and mystery is the salvation which Jesus Christ brings through his person and work to both Jews and Gentiles. In this passage, we will see that God is glorified through his revelation, a revelation which is complete in Jesus Christ, his Son, and our Lord. We will look at this passage under three headings. First, we will consider a difficult demand, verses 1 through 11. Second, we will consider a definitive decree, verses 12 through 16. And finally, we will look at a divine determination. A difficult demand, a definitive decree, and a divine determination. Let's look at that first point a difficult demand. Chapter 1 of Daniel, finished by describing Daniel and his friends' three-year training program in Babylon, in the courts of Babylon, to stand before the king, with the result being that Daniel and his three companions excelled and surpassed all of the other wise men in Babylon. Not only the trainees, but the seasoned wise men of the land. In verse 1 of chapter 2, we are told that in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Because this says in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel's training was to be three years, some have thought that this narrative took place during the training program of Daniel. But I think it's better to see this in chronological order. Remember, we talked about the different ways of having a calendar and years, one which referred to when the king ascended his throne and the other which kept track of the full year. Well, in the three-year reference of Daniel's training, it's referring to three full years. But when it talks about the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, it's referring to ascension years. In other words... When he ascended would have been counted as one year, his second year would have been his second year would have been counted as one year, and then the second the third one would be counted as second year. so it sounds very confusing and it is, but the point is this it 's not a contradiction daniel 's first year would have been the ascension year of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's second year would have been the official first year of his reign. And then Daniel's third year would have been the second year of his reign, exactly what this text tells us. That's just important to note because people try to see it as a contradiction, but it's not and actually makes perfect sense. And the original readers would have known that. In any case, at this time, Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed by troubling dreams and is not able to fall back to sleep because of them. So he immediately calls his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to come stand before them and to tell him his dream. All of these names and categories are meant to be representative of the guilds of the wise men in Babylon. He called for his advisors from all trades and guilds of Babylonian wisdom. Note that even in verse 2 we see the king's particular request that they might tell him his dream. And in verse 3, he tells them that he is troubled to know the dream and its meaning. In verse 4, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretations. Uh, Chaldeans here refers to the astrologers of Babylon who, who examined the stars of heaven to try to figure out the, the will of the gods. But they're also kind of a representative group. They're speaking on behalf of all the wise men and addressing uh, the king. We are told that they addressed him in Aramaic. This might mean that they spoke to the king, actually, in Aramaic, which was kind of the official language, the lingua franca of the time, that which everyone spoke uh, to have international trade matters, and they might have addressed the king in that. But it's also indicating something that happens in the text itself. Up until this point, uh, they, it has been written in Hebrew. Now it switches, and until the end of verse uh, chapter 7, it goes into Aramaic, a similar language, but a different language. And this is important because, as I said, this was the international language. And when we're looking at chapters 2 through 7, we're looking very particularly on the Lord's will and working among the nations, how he sets up kings and brings them down. So Daniel writes this in a universal language as the nations are being addressed even. Notice, too, that the initial request of the king is to tell him the dream. It's kind of overlooked by the Chaldeans as they address him. Uh, they ignore this request. And they tell him, give me, tell us the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. But Nebuchadnezzar has something else in mind. The Chaldeans are right that this is the traditional procedure. Usually you would tell somebody the dream you had, and then give its interpretation. Uh, We even have that example in the Bible with Joseph, that Pharaoh gave him the dream, and then he interpreted it for him. But Nebuchadnezzar has something else in mind. So in verses 5 through 6, we read, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Here the king makes it very clear that his word is firm, and it is severe. If these wise men cannot make both the dream and its interpretation known, then they will be torn limb from limb, And their houses will be made into a dung heap, a refuse. This is a firm decree. And this shows you somewhat of the the type of king that Nebuchadnezzar is. And the type of situation which Daniel and his friends are in. In the courts of Babylon. Yet again, knowing that they can't possibly give him the dream. They ignore the king's request again. And they just ask in verse 7 for him to tell them the dream. And we will give you the interpretation. Follow the protocol, Nebuchadnezzar. In response to this, Nebuchadnezzar asserts that he knows that they are just trying to buy time in fear of his word, which is firm. But in verse 9, he tells them that if they can't tell him the dream, he can be sure that they are lying to his face, that they're Crafts, their trades, their guilds are completely useless. Therefore, they must tell him both the dream and give its interpretation. But the wise men respond in verse 10 through 11 there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. These Babylonian wise men are right in two ways. First, it is true that this is a big request, which is out of the ordinary practice, as we've noted. Usually the king would give his dream and then they get the interpretation. Second, these wise men are rightly acknowledging that that Nebuchadnezzar's request is not in the power of any man, but this belongs in the province of God. They say what the king is asking is difficult; no one can do it except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they're right that this is an unreasonable unre- request and unprecedented, and they are right that in a ma- that this is a matter which divine. Uh, divine intervention must reveal. What is interesting about this is how honest of an omission of their own limitations which these men make. All of their different trades, all of the different arts, all of the different wisdom they had was exactly for this purpose. You examined the entrails of animals. You looked at the stars to try to interpret them. You noticed the flights of the birds and you claimed by this that you could understand the will of the gods. But here, they're saying, we can't do it. We do not have it in our power. That is something that is beyond us. This sets up the situation where the true God, the God of Israel, will reveal himself and his purpose through his servant. But first, the situation escalates to a crisis, which brings us to our second point. We've just looked at the difficult demand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now let us consider his definitive decree. This dream troubled Nebuchadnezzar's spirit and disturbed him in his very bones. As such, he's taking no chances and is accepting no excuses from his wise men who are meant to be able to handle a situation like this. So in verse 12, we get the king's response to the complaint of his wise men. He states, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Say what you want about Nebuchadnezzar. He's an effective leader. He gets things done and he does it fast. The very purpose of having all these wise men was exactly a situation like this to give counsel to the king counsel supposedly from the gods yet they've denied their ability to do this and they've sought to work around his command what use are they? Nebuchadnezzar will have none of this telling them that there is no other option just so you guys know there's no other option you either give me the dream and its interpretation either that Or you're going to be torn into limbs and your house is going to be made into a refuse heap. You're not in control of this situation. Those are your options. Since they deny his request, the king became furiously angry, is how it really should be translated, and commanded that all the wise men in his kingdom be put to death. So we're told in verse 13 that so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Again, Nebuchadnezzar wastes no time. If his counselors cannot perform their basic duties, interpreting the will of the gods, presenting his dream and explaining it to him, they're no good to him. And in his rage, he commands their death. At this point, Daniel and his companions are considered among the wise men of Babylon. Therefore, they are sought to be killed. The question is, how will they respond? Verse 14 tells us, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. In chapter 1, we saw how Daniel had responded to the king's command that he be fed from the king's table and drink his wine. He responded with calmness and respect and that therefore the Lord showered upon him his grace and granted his request so that he might not be defiled by the king's table. Now again, in an even more desperate situation, Daniel remains calm and replies to the authority over him with both prudence and discretion. We're told what he said in verse 15. He declared to Ariot, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Again, here Daniel does not panic, but respectfully inquires into the situation and learns the dire situation which he has now been brought into. And we read in verse 16 of his response, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. That Daniel has such access to the king supports the fact that he already has completed his training program, as we talked about, and he is now an advisor to the king. Unlike the other Chaldean advisors to the king, Daniel does not complain of the unfairness of the request of the king, but he calmly requests a hearing before the king, a time at which he might make this matter known to the king We can learn much from this narrative by contrasting the reaction of the wise men of Babylon with the response of Daniel. In response to this request of the king, the Babylonian wise men respond with treachery, deceit, and ultimately despair. Yet in the same circumstance, Daniel responds with prudence and discretion. What makes the difference? Whereas the wise men of Babylon were trusting and hoping In their own cunning and craft. Yet Daniel is trusting and hoping in the Lord his God. As he is facing evil. As he is walking through the valley of the shadow of death with a death sentence on him. Daniel knows that his God is with him. And he acts accordingly. This brings us to ask, as we face trials in this life, as we face temptations, as we face evil and walk in the valley of the shadow of death, do we ourselves trust in the Lord and take comfort that he will guide us and comfort us? Or are we trusting in our own cunning and craft? Moreover, what is the basis of our trust and hope that the Lord is indeed with us to comfort and guide us? This brings us to our third and final point. We have considered both the king's difficult demand and his definitive decree. Now let us look at the Lord's divine determination. We have been told of Daniel's prudence and discretion in making an appeal to the king that he might meet before him and give him the dream and its interpretation. Now we are told of his preparation. Verses 17 through 18 state That Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon." Daniel does not seek his solution in seclusion, but returns to his house and seeks the company of the people of God and asks for their assistance in seeking the grace and mercy of the Lord. In chapter one, we are told about how God surrounded Daniel with his grace and his mercy, his covenantal love for his people. Now here in two eighteen, Daniel calls on his friends to call out to the Lord for that same mercy the mercy which God shows to his covenantal people when they are facing suffering, when they are facing death. Particularly, they are to call out to the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Uh, The title God of heaven both separates God, the Lord, from the gods of the Babylonians, but also identifies him as the one who reveals hidden things and who does not dwell with Flesh, But whereas the wise men of Babylon despaired of finding knowledge, which belongs to the gods that dwell not with human flesh, the God of heaven hears the prayers of his servants and reveals mysteries. So in verse 19, we read, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Note the contrast here. The Chaldeans, those who were meant to discern the will of the gods, gave up in despair to find out the mystery of this dream and its interpretation. Yet Daniel and his friends, in dependence on the God of heaven, sought out his mercy and prayer. And as a result, Daniel received the revelation of this mystery. And in recognition that it is not his cunning and craft, In recognition of his dependence on the Lord, in response to his grace, Daniel breaks forth into glorious praise. He says in verses 20 through 23, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He moves kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with him. Quick note there that this this prayer, this praise, it highlights much of what is going on and will be going on in this book. They got exiled. He's the God who takes down kings. Nebuchadnezzar came up. He's the one who sets up kings. But Nebuchadnezzar, he's also the one who puts down kings and kingdoms. It highlights a lot of what's going to be going on. But notice also, Daniel takes none of the credit to himself. He immediately blesses the name of God, ascribing to him both wisdom and might. Moreover, in accordance with the opening of this book and its chapters, he confesses that God is the one who's changing these times and seasons. At the heart of Daniel's praise, he proclaims that the God of heaven reveals deep and hidden things. That he knows what is in darkness, and that light dwells with him. Contained in this prayer are deep biblical roots and wide theological implications. In them you're reminded of Isaiah who who mocks the gods of the nations, which cannot predict what is to come. Are you gods at all? You can't tell us what is happening. And it it reminds us also, the teaching in the New Testament, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Unlike the gods of Babylon, which do not dwell with human flesh and do not help their servants, the God of heaven, the true God, he dwells in heaven, but he reveals his will to his servants. So Daniel concludes in verse 23, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Notice first that despite the efforts of the Babylonians to reprogram and indoctrinate Daniel, he still identifies with the God of Israel, the God of his father, not the gods, the false gods of Babylon. It is to this God, the one true God, that he gives thanks and praise. He has praised the Lord for his wisdom and might. Now he praises the Lord for sharing wisdom and might with his servants. He praises the Lord in this most dire situation, The Lord has heard his prayers of his servants and has granted the request. To appreciate this conclusion, we must remember where we began. This narrative began with the king of Babylon, distressed by his dream and making an unreasonable request. In response to his demand to give the dream and its interpretation, his wise men despaired and gave themselves over to death. Yet when Daniel heard of this definite decree, he did not give himself over to despair and death, but called on his friends and himself to give themselves to the Lord in prayer, asking for his mercy and favor. In darkness, the Lord shows light. At the prospect of death, the Lord gives life. Daniel and his friends feared no evil, for they knew that the Lord, their God, was with them to comfort and guide. As we live in this world of sin and misery, as we walk through this valley of the shadow of death, we too must fear no evil. For the God of heaven, the God of our fathers, is with us to comfort and guide. We began today by asking, what is it that keeps you going? In whom or in what do you hope And trust. In our text today, we have seen two different responses to these questions. On the one hand, we have the wise men of Babylon who trusted in their cunning and craft. And yet in the face of death, they gave themselves up to despair. On the other hand, we have seen Daniel and his friends who in the face of death trusted not in themselves, but placed their hope in the God of heaven, the God of their fathers. The Babylonian wise men were right to say that the knowledge which Nebuchadnezzar requested belonged not to man, but to the God, or what they would think, gods, which dwell not with flesh. But they did not know that the God of heaven gives grace to the humble and reveals his will to his servants. Daniel and his friends understood this and confidently prayed to the Lord for his grace and mercy in their time of need. How much more confidence can we have to call on the name of the Lord and trust in him to be with us? The wise men of Babylon proclaimed that Nebuchadnezzar sought what he sought, belonged to the gods which dwell not with human flesh. But in the New Testament, we are taught about Jesus Christ, the eternal God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its interpretation is spoken of with a rare word in the Old Testament as a mystery, which God reveals to Daniel. But in the New Testament, we learn of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is described as the mystery which is hidden for ages. That in Christ, God is reconciling both Jews and Gentiles. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 3 as the mystery made known by revelation, as the mystery of Christ. In Christ, God dwells in human flesh. In Christ, God brings salvation to his people. What keeps us going? What gives us hope? We have no other answer than this that Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us, that Jesus Christ died to save sinners, which is a trustworthy saying. We no longer look to prophecies or dreams, new prophecies and dreams. For as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. As we live in this world of sin and misery, as we walk through the streets of Babylon, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let us look to God's revelation in Jesus Christ, the mystery of ages, who came and dwelt in human flesh for men, for our salvation, as we even confessed earlier. As you go through these troubles, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him, God is with us, and in Him, God is. Saves and comforts and guides. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, the God whom the heavens cannot contain your greatness and the fullness of, yet the God who for us men, for us men, women, boys, and girls, sent forth your Son. Clothing him with human flesh. Flesh that was to be, in a sense, torn limb from limb for us. And facing the wrath of God on the cross. How thankful we are for you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us and that you speak to us through your word. We pray that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we will fear no evil. But we will trust that you are with us and that you care about us. We pray of all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What gives us hope? What do we rely on? Is God with us? God gives us this meal to show us and remind us that he is with us in the valley of shadow of death. That this is a picture of his son who gave himself to death for us and for our salvation his body broken, his blood poured out. This is what this meal represents, that in Christ Jesus, God has revealed the mystery of ages. In Christ Jesus, God is reconciling Jews and Gentiles, bringing them under Christ, the true king. This is a meal for those who identify with the God of our fathers with the God of Israel, the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a meal for those who are repenting of their sins, who have joined the church, who are baptized members of a church, who are sitting under the discipline of their session, those who are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as their God and Savior. If that describes you, this meal is for you. If it does not describe you, I would ask that you would let these elements pass. We would not want what is meant to be a blessing to be a curse. But don't let the Lord Jesus Christ pass. In this meal, he even calls you to faith, to look to the one who gave himself for mankind, who gave himself for sinners as such as we are. Um, Let us go to the Lord now in prayer and pray, pray that he would bless these common elements to our spiritual nourishment and good. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us this meal of your Son, that you dwell with the lowly, that you care about sinners such as we are. We pray, Lord, that you would use these simple elements of bread and wine to feed us with the finest of heaven, to nourish us spiritually by faith, even be working in us by your Holy Spirit, that we might commune with Christ Jesus in heaven on high. It's in his name that we pray these things to you, asking for your blessing. Amen.